What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem. You are listening and watching Untold Stories. We're twice a week together, broadcasting to you from sunny Sarasota, Florida, from the Palm Tower Studios. Actually, here it's a night. I just realized my studio is a 1920s hotel where John Ringling and the circus, all of the circuses came together and to come up with a whole industry about the circus to go on the traveling or all over the world. But where I live is like where the circus was uh, based, the, uh, the winter home for it. And it's kind of crazy, but it's exciting where together we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, brilliant people, uh, the ones who are the soldiers for what they believe to really understand where we're going, where we came from, where we are right now, and how to use all this information and all the tools available to us to make us more like free and to not, uh, uh, you know, Luke, I want to just pause for a second, but, but Luke Stroke, Luke Stokes, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's an honor to be here, Charlie. Seriously, I've, I've followed your career and everything you've done in the blockchain space. I remember your Geek in Prison series, which was just so awesome. And just, I love your transparency and openness. And it, it truly is an honor to be here. I really need to start restart that the, the Geek in Prison series because on this show, I end up interviewing a lot of other people, but at the same time, I don't get to talk about prison stories and I kind of miss that, but it's all good. Luke, you, you, you know, our lives have been bound together and, and it's really an honor to have you on the show because I feel like our industry has gotten so big now and the whole space has gotten so crazy um, and so large, the messaging, it starts to get diluted and why we're here and why you're here and why I came here and why a lot of us came here, uh, we forget, we get lost in the weeds. We get, whether it's bull or bear markets or whatever the hell is happening right now, we get lost in it. You've been doing this for so long. You're voluntarist and you've been doing this because you want to make the world a better place uh, every single day, whenever we meet, whenever we go out, whenever I see you at a different event or conference over the years, whether it was working together on Steam and now you, you, you know, you're the, the managing director for the foundation of interwallet operability. Thank you so much for doing that too. It's a pleasure. I mean, it's, it, I, I completely agree. I think there's been a lot of noise in the space, you know, this whole like, Hey, peer to peer digital cash for the unbanked. And we're going to actually, you know, make the violence of government no longer necessary with our smart contracts and our, you know, uh, non, you know, non-centralized currencies and all these beautiful things. And I, I do get discouraged at times. So it's been about eight and a half years in the space for me. I, I bought my first Bitcoin in January, 2013. And, and I know for a lot of yourself and other guests, that's still late to the game. But for me, it was like, 50 bucks, two and a half no, Bitcoin. Not. I was like, yeah, pretty sweet, you know? <laughs> Eight and a half years, congratulations. It's been, yeah, and it's it's crazy in that when I think about it, I was thinking about this. I was like, well, yeah, you know, when I come into this interview, you know, probably the common question that people would be have, well, who, who's this guy and like, what is he known for? And I was like, I'm, I probably haven't done what I'm known for yet in terms of like, I've only been in this space, like working professionally since the beginning of 2018. I, I had an e-commerce company, Foxycart, for, for about 10 years. And I, and actually there's a Bitcoin wiki entry for Foxycart because back in 2013, we were like, Hey, this is the future. I was doing, you know, talks on crypto and Bitcoin. And I was like, you know, you got to accept Bitcoin in your store. So we made it available through our e-commerce platform. And, and so people stores could sign up and do it. But back then it was too confusing. Everyone's like, what? I'm just getting more card abandonment. And people are just like leaving the checkout page to go research Bitcoin and they're all confused. And, and so it's just too hard to use. But it was in that process that I, I started to learn about, you know, the financial system and how it all works. And I got finally got to a point where I was just doing so much in the crypto space that my, my business partner and I would after 10 years, he's like, man, why don't you just go do what you love? Like, 
you know, he got a loan from his dad. He was able to give me a little bit of money and I sold it back to him so I could just focus full time. So I did consulting and advising and, and I'd already been involved in like, like you said, Steam, uh, now Hive. And I was a, a block producer there, just kind of people reading my stuff was like, dude, you should be a, you should be a, a validator. And I'm like, I don't want to run servers. I'm a software developer. I like to write code. I don't like to manage, but I got to the point where I understood they, they needed someone they could trust, right? And then through that, kind of got recruited to do uh, the EOS launch with EOS DAC. I was really passionate about DACs and DAOs, decentralized autonomous communities, consortias, companies, organizations, Been doing that for a couple of years as well. And so, yeah, around 2018, it was finally like, all right, let's do this full time. I kind of got roped into being involved with FIO and I'm just, I'm super passionate about that now. A lot of people got involved in the space and, and they do get involved now. You see it, you see it time and time again. Everyone I, I meet and talk to, it's like, I need something to do. My first job, I need to, to, this is where I need to jump in. The difference was with you and why our industry, and I hate to use that word, I need to come up with a better word, why Bitcoin and crypto owes you such a great debt, why I owe you such a great debt is because it was all or nothing for you. And in those early years, something was pulling you into this. You didn't know why. You didn't care why. You just knew this was it. This is what you needed to do with your life to make the world a better place. And you never left it. I'm sure there are good times and bad times and then good times again. But it's not like something that when, you know, if you, your project or whatever, you, you walk away, you do something else. It's like, you're fucking ride or die, bro. Like, and, and what saddens me sometimes is that there aren't many of you left. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I've definitely seen people come and go. I've seen, uh, you know, and, and misattributions of stories of people coming and going when they really haven't gone, you know, <laughs> things like that. Like there's a recent one with, uh, uh, yeah, anyway. It, 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 for me, it's like when I look at it, and, and I think all of us should do this. We could step back and be like, you know, what's your story? Why are you here? Why do you exist? What are you all about? And, and, and I look at it and I think, okay, I want to create a world we all want to live in. I got three kids. I got a beautiful wife, I have friends and family, and I want to create a world that we enjoy. And through that process, I go, okay, what's, what's the biggest problem in the world? Well, I look at democide. You know, it's 260 million deaths. It's like anytime someone's complaining about something like, oh, man, this is so bad. We need to fix this. We need to fix that. I'm like, body count. Let's just do a body count. All right. So violent governments seem to be a really big problem. Like, okay, so how can we solve that? Oh, cool. Like governance and voluntarism and these kind of nonviolent sure. solutions for how humans can interact. And then, okay, well, how do they fund this whole system to keep it going? Oh, wow. Central bankers and like the control of currency and money and centralization of, you know, a, a monopoly on currency creation, a monopoly on justice, a monopoly on law. Like all these things I started thinking about, oh man, if we decentralize these things, we take away the power of currency creation, also we can start fixing these problems. And so it gets to the point where every time I get discouraged or frustrated, I think, well, you know, am I really doing anything that matters? I'm really spending my, you know, my time on this short life I have, you know, on the right thing. I just get reminded by that. I'm like, well, what else would I do? Like what, what else could help create a world that's a better place? What would be as money? fulfilling? What would be as fulfilling than, than what we do now? I mean, what, what else gets us on a Sunday morning? you know, doing a podcast about something that we just love. It just, it's insane. But, but I want to ask you, you know, you, you touched on something very important. And when I joined, um, when I joined Bitcoin, I joined also to, to make the world a better place, but to make my life a better place. I was coming from a very, very toxic community, very toxic world where I'm, in my early twenties, I was, you know, looking towards, the end of my life, essentially. And, and, and if I had not found Bitcoin in this community, uh, who knows if I would even be here today. And so what community were you a part of that you looked at 
in the world and said, hey, I need to make this world better. I need to go and join something better. Wow, it's such a great question because I, I, I don't have, I think, the normal story that a lot of people have where they're super driven, they're super passionate. Oftentimes, it's like they had a bad relationship with their dad and they're trying to like prove themselves or, or like you said, they're, they're in a bad crowd and they have to you yeah. know, survive. There's just something strange about my story. I don't know why I had a really amazing family growing up. I mean, my, my parents passed away in 2007, you know, a, a few months apart from each other. I mean, that certainly was a defining moment. But even before then, I've, I've just always been very driven that I'm going to do significant things in the world. And I've, as I've kind of grown in my story and kind of learned things like Dharma and things that like, this is what sure. you're meant to do. I've kind of become less egoic about well, what it. What do you mean about like, Dharma? What's that? The, the wheel of the Dharma. Tell me about your thoughts on that. Oh man, I, I'm still learning what that word means. I'm still exploring it. Uh, Same. We were, you know, just a lot of different books and interviews and lectures about all kinds of these different things. And, you know, the, the, and then if there's anything that could possibly get me more interested and excited than, you know, fixing, you know, free the markets, free the world, fixing the, the global governance with fixing money, it might be studying consciousness. And that's kind of the thing I do on the side a bit. It's kind of my side job right now that I have. I'm reading books and studying things on non-physical matter reality. And you look at a, a, a single atom and there's 99.99, you know, 13 nines with a six percent nothing. So if we want to like really focus on something, we probably should focus on the nothing. And you got the, like the quantum eraser experiment and these kind of things. Yeah. So I'm just exploring like, what does it mean to be here, to be incarnated, to be an individuated unit of consciousness? You know, even if we're just pretending to be separated, like we're here to do something, what is that? And, and, I, and the best I can come up with is create a world we all want to live in and evolve your consciousness. I, I, one of my favorite authors at the moment is uh, Thomas Campbell. He's got a three, three part book series called uh, My Big Toe, My Theory of Everything. Thomas Campbell describes, basically, we're here to evolve our consciousness and remove entropy from our consciousness. And when we do that, it increases our capacity for love because we're closer to the truth and the truth being kind of we're all, you know, we're all one. Hyper efficient. So, yeah, we're trying to just we're, we're a bunch of like we're a bunch of humans are just a bunch. We're walking into walls all day. And essentially, we need to make our worlds and our lives more efficient. Our brains want to be talking to each other in the most efficient way possible. And, and connecting that is that eventually that that pursuit and what we're doing here is we're making the world we've made in the past 10 years, we've made the world so much more efficient than it was 10 years prior. People wouldn't even care about Venmos and cash apps if crypto wasn't a conversation, if Bitcoin wasn't a conversation in 2011, 2012. I love that. That's such a good point. And it's like, it kind of forces the industry along. Credit cards were invented exactly. before the internet existed, right? It was like, here's the password to my safe. Please only take out what you're supposed to. It's just completely archaic system. And, and, and then there's all these middlemen, they're taking percentage of cuts. The vendors are held, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck. They don't have an option to try Dude, other things. It, and it's so brilliant. So in two, you're, you're so fine. 2013, the National ACH Association, NASHA, N-A-C-H-A, the National- I, I've literally written NACHA files before. Okay, so written... I've literally coded NACHA files. <laughs> so anyone who's ever done like direct deposit or paying a credit card bill, you know, it takes two to three days, 24 hours for an ACH, like, you know, even if you're doing like a Coinbase transaction, if you want to, or any crypto company, if you want to sell your Bitcoin into dollars and you do an ACH, it takes like three days. Still now, 2020, right? So this is 2012. And they, the whole NASA and all of their state governors of the whole, like all of this money was spent to bring the whole organization out to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil for this retreat. And they paid for me and Eric to go out there and to speak to them on how to like make payments faster. 
So Eric literally gets on stage and he's like, guys, instead of spending all of this money for this like big amphitheater and all these people, why don't you just make ACH transactions faster? And like we bet we, we never got reinvited. <laughs> Eight years That's awesome. And they're still I'm not faster. It's like I literally, they're, they're literally fixed with text files. I've literally, I remember writing like PHP and ASP way back in the day. Uh, this is prior to Foxycard. This is another company I, I worked PHP. with writing Devil. Nacha files. And I'm like, this is just archaic. I mean, literally like here's someone's bank code and their routing number. I'm like, this is the keys of their kingdom. And I'm just throwing them into this clear text file. And it was just insane. And so actually part of that is the reason why I'm so passionate about the FIO protocol and why like decentralized business models get me so excited. These, these systems where it's like, there's no centralized company kind of controlling everything. There's a model where everyone who adds value gets to receive value. And the idea that in the DAC model where everyone gets to be a customer because they use the token to use the service, everyone gets to be an employee because they can fill out a worker proposal and get paid to add value. And everyone gets to be an owner because they actually have a, a, a token share in the system. They get to participate in the governance of the system. And so when I think about the traditional fan, financial system, it almost always starts with a request. You know, you, you don't just have money show up in your bank account randomly and you're like, where does money come from? I have no idea. You know, it's always an invoice or an order card or something like that. There's a payment request. So FIO provides a decentralized way to do encrypted payment requests. And, and I, I think that's really neat. I think we need that kind of ubiquitous experience and you could put a memo, just like, you know, we say, be your own bank. But really, like most people aren't doing that. Like get out a spreadsheet and, and track every single transaction. It's a big pain in the butt. And I've been doing it since 2013. I know it's a pain in the butt to be your own bank. So we got to make it easier. And with things like this and, and things that transcend the crypto tribalistic boundaries, that, that I also get really excited about. Interoperability stuff, stuff that's like, doesn't matter if you're hardcore Bitcoin, hardcore Ethereum, hardcore, you know, even if you're, you're like EOS or Tron no, or Cardano I like this. or whatever. This is the way we're bringing it back together because over the past few years, we saw this stupid maximalism start to emerge. And I like that the ethos of crypto transcended that and we're moving away from that. And between me and you, a lot of the maximalists created the maximalism on either side, whether it was Bitcoin or altcoin maximalism to really justify their kind of like existence in whatever we are. But we're, you're right. We're going back to this like, hey. You can love Bitcoin, you can love Ethereum, you can love everything, you can be decentralization. Decentralization is a spectrum and we're all on this spectrum as long as we're not like scamming and stealing from each other. So now you take this and you've been doing this a long time. So you decided to, so this is how you officiated your newfound, oh, I love this. This is how you like your newfound culture in, in hey, we need operability between everything. So here you, you you started the foundation for Interwild. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, the funny part is I, I got connected to the project as a, as a part-time consultant. I, I spoke at a conference in Denver. I think it was the end of, uh, let me see. Yeah, the end of 2018, I was speaking at a conference and I just randomly met two guys and they're like, hey, come to lunch with us real quick. And so I, I heard about the project and immediately it was just like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever heard of. This actually makes sense. This needs to exist. This way to be able to send to a human-readable address, this usability layer for all of crypto, doesn't actually talk to a blockchain. It's actually a layer above blockchain. It's really an interface experience, and only the private key holder can map an address or send a field request. So there's this you know, trust. It is an NFT that you control. And I was like, man, this is super cool. So I started consulting with them uh, in the beginning of 2019. And, and through that process, they eventually made me the chief decentralization officer. I love and they, it. They raised you know, funds and everything. And... And then even then I was like, I want to stay part-time. I, I, I sold my business. I don't want to create another job for myself. I like consulting, advising, and you know, having all these different freedoms. And then even when they started the foundation, 
it was kind of my same job title. Like when the foundation, the community launched the foundation and it came in nonprofit, I was like, it's already what I'm doing. And it makes sense that I should help. And I was still, even then I'm like, well, let me do it part-time, you know? And it just, the more and more I started getting involved, the more I started to see industry adoption of the protocol, the more I started to use it myself. Like I use it to pay our team. We have about 20 something people now that I pay every month with a field request. They send me a field request. I look at it, I verify it on the spreadsheet and I swipe my finger and it's done. It's amazing. That's amazing. So just, to, to me, it was just like, I had to be more involved. So now I work on it probably more than full-time. But your it's, drive uh, you know, it's, here is, is still like, that's the thing. This is not a, this is a foundation. This is not a, a, a business. You're not starting a business and, and earning transaction fees from, from people. That's what still drives you. And that's what I want to believe continues to drive me. I do believe that continues to drive me. Is that like wanting to, to continue to, to like, you know, continue to, to spin the wheel of the Dharma and, and karma is something, you know, you put, you get back from the world, what you put into it. And when we, for, when we forget, sometimes we do, Luke, we forget to put into the world. We start to go reclusive and we go into ourselves and we, and then you notice those are the times when we start to feel like shit. It's when we stop put giving the world positive energy is when we start to feel negative energy ourselves. I'm telling you, it's true. It's I true. It all it's the time, all connected. Yeah. As it is above, so it is below. You know, hermetic principles and stuff. And, and as a, as a podcaster, I gotta I gotta tell you this joke I saw the other day. It was hilarious. It was like you know when when are when are the podcasters gonna stop? Or like the young white men gonna stop starting podcasts and just get uh, you know counseling instead? I'm <laughs> just like, oh, that's so good. That's so good because this is it's a form of this counseling. is my therapy. To, this yeah, when podcast, we get to share our ideas, oh it's beautiful. <laughs> I was going through some of the most difficult times of my life, going through not even the criminal case all those years ago, but going through the crazy litigation with, I don't want to bring it all that up, years ago with, with the whole Ben uh, uh, Instant Winklevoss situation, uh, just bringing back so many bad memories. You know, this podcast was how I was able to get through that. This was my therapy. It's so true. And thank you That's all awesome. the listeners for being and my therapist. I owe you money. It connects though, like it's really beautiful because it connects us again, depending on, you know, your worldview and how you view kind of these like spiritual concepts. And these are things I'm studying and reading about and learning about potentially connects you more to yourself. Because as you talk to another, you know, another bit actor up on the stage of life, you know, pretending to be an individuated unit of consciousness, that's actually part of the great I am oneness anyway, you're like, hey, that's me. And you get to bounce and reflect off yourself in a way that teaches you about yourself. And some would say teaches the oneness about itself. And like, I know we're getting oh, a little yeah. crazy. Out no, 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 this is what it bit. is. But you know, it's, it's it, to me, it's, I think it's important. Like I love Simon Sinek has this kind of start with why, like, why do people do what they do? You know, and, and the great companies, they always kind of or organizations or, or things that change the world. They kind of start with like, well, why does any of this matter? And so I think it's healthy to, to be studying your why, like, why do you exist? Your Dharma, you know, if we want to use that language, whatever language works for you, why are you here? What are you doing? Like, why do you, I wrote a post sure, on yeah. Facebook a couple of days ago. It was like, you're ever getting stuck and you're, you, you feel like you don't know you're, you're aimless. You don't know what your purpose is. Just start helping people build tools for freedom. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Put out into that world that you want and you will get it back. I'm telling you, it's so true. It's so true. And I kind of want to weave this back into, into our show a little bit here because I had a question that you've given me the perfect transition into. So thank you. You're making my life as a podcaster really easy. Communities, right? We see two types of communities in the thousands of blockchains, protocols, platforms, you see ecosystems where you have blockchains and federations that work together. In your opinion, should communities be, you know, siloed 
and try to just grow themselves first, you know, in a non-dilutive way? Or should communities be constantly working together from their get-go? Because you and I were in one of the best communities, my the Steam community, my favorite community. I still look back and like I fucking miss the Steam community, especially during 2016, 2017. But we saw what happens to a community that stays siloed and can get taken over in a hostile way. You know, I kind of gave you my thought on that. What's your thought on all this? Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's a great question because I, I think about it in terms of like when you have a baby that's born, you know, it needs to be nurtured and cared for. It's not like, hey, get behind the wheel of the semi truck and go for a drive. Like there is a, and this is an interesting conversation in our, you know, our industry, our ecosystem, whatever term we want to use, that like decentralization is on a spectrum. And a lot of things start out centralized and, and maybe for good reason. And not only that, and this is a one that, oh man, this one's been hard for me that I've been recently struggling with is the acceptance that some people really need and actually thrive in hierarchy. And, and that concept, that structure, if it's Leadership, voluntary yeah. hierarchy, can be useful. And so I think back to, you know, Steemit as an interesting example. You know, we knew, those of us who were block producers and validators, we knew that there was this major systemic risk with the Ninja Mine coins. They had 80% of the governance token right from the beginning. And we knew, we're just like, this is a problem. And they went on interviews and stuff and they put it in their actual like, you know, roadmap. No, 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 we're only going to use these tokens for this way. But it's like Andreas Antonopoulos and others say, it's like, don't, it's not a matter of won't, it's a matter of can't. You yeah, know, you have to can, can you, the ability to, yeah. Exactly. good intentions so, are not transferable. Yeah, and, and so it, it became a problem and, and there was drama even a year before Steam got taken over. Remember. There was, uh, there was one person who put a pull request out there to null out their tokens, like literally null their keys. And it freaked out that the leadership there so badly, they literally started taking their tokens and putting them on a new exchange. And they, their justification for it was basically, oh, we don't, we don't trust uh, our tokens. And I'm like, you're literally representing the entire platform and you're basically telling the world you don't trust your own chain. This is horrendous. It was a slap in the face to all of us. Like that, that, that we would ever even consider pushing out a code change like that was ridiculous. But anyway, it was a year after that. Uh, you know, I, I have a whole long series about the whole story of what happened. I was right there in the beginning. I remember I got up in the morning and I got two, you know, three text messages that my my seed server went down, my producer node went down, and my backup node went down. When all three went down, I'm like, that's a chain issue. Something's wrong. And I went and I created a video right then when I realized what happened, that they Sybil attacked the chain, they took it over. And, uh, and that kind of went viral a little bit, like Vitalik and other people were retweeting it. It was like, oh my gosh, this DPoS thing, it's actually being tested. Is it a real blockchain or not? And the interesting thing about that, even I got followed by CZ as well during that time, because I, I, he was like, what did I just do? I just I deployed some code. They told me to vote with the customer tokens, and we did to save the chain. And now I'm being told I just destroyed it. What did I just do? And so I kind of explained it in a post to him what they did, which is basically, again, Sybil attacked the chain. All 20-something of those nodes were controlled by Justin Sun and Steam yep. Incorporated. And, and they essentially lied. They, they said, look, here's a code, you know, that is going to, people are going to steal funds on the chain. And it wasn't true. It wasn't exactly What was the value that they were all fighting over? Was there, was it a monetary amount or was the, the, the community itself and the IP, not the IP that comes with it, but the Steam? Oh, interesting. That, yeah. Like, what was well, the, I'm sure there's a, ask 10 people and you probably get 11 different versions of what it was, but on the call that I, I was on a couple calls with CZ early on, like we, we started some negotiations to try to explain to him, hey, you can't buy a community. You can't buy you a community. The experiment yeah. fails at that point. Even having that conversation, the whole experiment failed at that point, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like you bought tokens. You bought 20. At, at that point, I think they still had 20% of the tokens and you bought 
steamit.com, which was a centralized interface among many. Just one among many, too. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a web browser of sorts, but you can view other websites on the web browser, right? The blockchain of Steam. Just and, like and, a block explorer. The, the exactly. Steamit.com was a nicer version of the Steam block explorer, but you can go to like steamd.com and yep. see the, everything, right? All the content, just not in the nice, you know, graphic user interface. And, and so being part of that actually got me really excited about crypto communities. And, 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 and to, your, to your original question, like, so what we ended up doing, and, and big shout out to Dan Nolanson from, uh, from Block Trades. I mean, he saved the community. Oh my God, I high. love him so He got much. everyone together. Now, was it perfect? No, I almost pulled the trigger. Like, I, right, you know, we 48 hours, I think it was actually 24 hours before they were going to launch Hive. They're like, here's the code we want you to deploy. You're you're an active, you know, consensus witness. And I almost I almost turned off my node and said I'm not going to do it because I they, it was going to be just a few accounts not being included in the Hive token airdrop, and then it turned it 300 accounts. And I was like, oh man, I don't like this. And and there were a lot of people, friends of mine, even to this day, that are, are mad at me and are like not friends anymore because they're like, you shouldn't have done that. But to me, it was like they made a commitment. Yeah. Later, they're going to be able to petition if they feel they were mistreated. And they did. And actually, there was a mistake made. And a bunch of people in that 300-something were fixed. So it's like, what I now talk about is layer zero security. And that gets back to your question about community, is that the number of people who believe in what you're doing in your project is valuable is the real security of any blockchain. When people talk about, oh, it's immutable, 51% attack, this, that, and the other, it's all about the number of people who believe what you're doing is valuable. If you've got any type of hashing algorithm or whatever, whatever, they can 51% attack Ethereum Classic, for example. They can 51% attack anything. If the people don't believe that Bitcoin Core, for example, is the real deal, but not, and then they start to believe that Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Satoshi's Vision or friggin' Bitcoin Diamond or Gold or any of these other goofball ones, like it, it's whatever people believe. And if they believe that's true, then it is. Just like when people talk about Ethereum, Ethereum is actually a fork, but it kept the name Ethereum because people believed that it was Ethereum, even though others would say, no, 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 the real Ethereum is Ethereum Classic. That might be technically accurate, but it didn't matter because layer zero went to Ethereum. This is a friendly public service announcement reminding you guys that if you're using Uniswap or OneInch or any of these other decentralized exchanges, you shouldn't be. You should be using our awesome sponsor, PowerSwap, because PowerSwap is a decentralized aggregator that sits on top of all of these different other decentralized exchanges to give you the maximum liquidity. But not only do they work on Ethereum, but now they work on Polygon and Binance Smart Chain. So you can do all of these type of crazy swaps, defining, you know, going from one token to another, to USDC, to USDT, to wrapped Bitcoin, to all these different coins and tokens, all do it in a decentralized way. Furthermore, they're now integrated in the Ledger Live platform. I love these guys. I've been using PowerSwap for over a year now because you save all of those transaction fees every time you have to hit one of these blockchains for like approving your MetaMask or sending a transaction. PowerSwap like brings it all together. You predefine everything and then you hit submit on the smart contract platform and it does it all in one shot for you. So you can check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash PowerSwap. Thank you guys for making my show an amazing one. That's untoldstories.link forward slash PowerSwap. Wow, with a pretty crazy chaotic year behind us, the guys at Big Casino, my friends, are offering us 200 free spins for the Legacy of the Dead game. These guys are awesome. Over the past year, we've done promotions together from Valentine's Day 
all the way to St. Patrick's Day and from celebrating all the different holidays in between, we've been doing crazy promotions, giving away Teslas, like three of them. And all you have to do is go to untoldstories.link forward slash bitcasino, hit the reward section and claim your 200 free spins on the Legacy of the Dead game. These guys have been helping out Untold Stories for over a year now. Fun, fast and fair gameplay. Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tron and Litecoin. I mean, you got everything. Go have some fun untoldstories.link forward slash bitcasino. Isn't it crazy that blockchains give us the ability to put our belief into this like hyper-efficient model of like whatever we all believe is what's going to keep the name, but no one defines it. It's just a community putting, you know, your money where your mouth is and then voting that way and then towards, you know, or like believing or crypto Twitter or exchanges. It's just like, it's the amalgamation of like everything together. It's an emergent property, right? It doesn't exist on its, its own, but it's an property. emergent property. These individuals making a decision. And the interesting thing about the centralized exchanges, they play a, a really, and, and I mean, I've, I've felt this way since I first joined the industry. They, they, they play way too large of a role. And that's why I'm very excited about DeFi. It's this yeah. idea that there's no more, just like we change the gatekeepers to truth, like where if you don't, you know, if CNN doesn't say it, it's not true. Yes. Now we're changing that with these decentralized media companies. And we're changing that with, how we have a, a mechanism for a mutable, globally agreed upon nonviolent consensus. That's what I view a blockchain as. We have a mechanism to say, hey, look, that's true. Yes, it's yes, yes, exactly. And the ability to have, so when you have all of that put together and you have all the belief and we're all like voting on our tokens and then, you know, you throw it on a decentralized exchange, that's when you have the perfect market efficiency of buyers and sellers of belief on either side saying buying and selling but we want to like, it's a constant tug of war of market perfect efficiency. Whereas the centralized exchanges, I'll be like, oh, we're listing this token. We're listing that. Who has the nicest graphics? Who has the best this? But it's the centralized exchanges telling us that. Whereas oh, who if- Who pays the highest listing fee? Or who right? pays the <laughs> highest listing fee? You're right. Yeah. And, and it's also too interesting in that the, the, the dark side of that is, like, for example, we use, a, we use a great site called Coinly for our accounting for the foundation to keep everything transparent and everything. And it, we, I use it for my taxes as well. And I'm not like no kickback for that or anything. It's just a good tool. But it's interesting that they often make a mistake where it's like somebody airdrops some completely ridiculous scam coin on Binance Smart Chain or who knows what. And then, but it has the BTC tag, for example. And all of a sudden, Coinly's like, you made a trillion dollars because look, you have this token and it's worth this much money. And then, you know, even, even these professional service providers get spoofed by, by all these kind of tokens. And, and that's why you go to use Uniswap and it's like huge error, like, hey, warning, anyone can put any contract address anywhere, make sure you know what you're doing. And again, this is why I think FIO is so important. When you map a FIO address, it maps not just the token code and the address, but also the chain code. So you can actually kind of know, like, am I sending real USDT on the Omni layer or the ERC-20 or the Tron version or the EOS version or the BSC version, like knowing that kind of stuff, if companies can't even figure this out, how are we gonna expect individuals to? So we just, we gotta make the tools easier. We gotta make all the tools easier. We gotta make them nicer looking and we gotta continue to grow uh, all of those industries together. You know, look, you, I mean, that must've been traumatic going through the whole Steam Hive thing, but that probably wasn't even the first or the last, you know, pressure, dealing with, you know, a pressure point in the space for yourself, uh, like you said, eight and a half years. Well, um, I, I remember, I remember 2013. And again, I, I was kind of like on the side, I was still working on Foxy card. It was always kind of this, I was blogging about it, talking about it, but it wasn't fully like working in the industry until 2018. But even on the side, like 2013, I can remember, and I'll remember it like it was yesterday. It was like 
one, two in the morning, and I'm sitting there on IRC because that's how that's where you know it was Bitcoin talk and IRC. That's where everyone was at. And I was watching when there was a, a, a fork. Basically, the, the reference client had a bug related to block size and the chain started going two different directions. Some clients were doing transfers that it, it rejected the block and some clients were doing transfers that didn't. And I watched in real time as these individual, and you were probably part of this, you know, with Bitstamp, I imagine, but watching in real time as exchanges and companies and all these individuals, mining pools, everyone in their own selfish interest did what was best the entire community. When I saw that, I was like, holy freaking, I, for whatever reason, my wife was still awake at the time. I'm like, Kareen, this is going to change the world. This Bitcoin yes. thing is for real. It's going to change the world because there's no industry in the world. There's no company in the world. There's no government in the world that can move as fast as these people just moved yes. to solve this problem. It was amazing. That moment that you're talking about, I had a very similar moment and it was when, I don't remember the year, it was around the same time. It was when I was actually in college, I was learning about like monopolies and what happens when you have one company gets too much power, the government has to come in and break it up. And I'm like, well, you know, whatever I believe of the state, I believe that there should be like, even if the state is super small and only does very few things, you know, having like a, a breakup of monopolies is a potential good thing. So I'm sitting here and then I see in Bitcoin, there's a mining pool that's getting too much Hash I remember it got close to 51%. 51%. I remember that one as well. Yeah. And by their, for the sake of the integrity of the whole industry, and because this mining pool needs to continue earning this Bitcoin thing that actually has to maintain its integrity, they on purpose, by their own wanting to remove their own monopoly, they lowered how much hash rate they have and they've decentralized it and broke it up by their and, own. And, and the community, and, it was beautiful. And people started moving their hash power as well. It's like, I'm, I'm actually going to make less money going over here than I would make here, but I'm doing it in my own selfish interest, which align with the interests of the entire network. And this goes back to that layer zero idea. It's like, as, as long as we have this belief in the value and we're willing to protect that belief, then we're protecting our individual value as well. And, and to me, it's just, yeah, I remember that one. That was another great example of where, oh my gosh, this could work. Now I can remember also, I got a little discouraged during the block sure. size debates. You know, Me when too. I started seeing the drama, I started seeing the censorship on bitcointalk.org. I started seeing the censorship on Reddit. Like people, you couldn't even say certain things. And I got so frustrated with that. And that's right around the time when, when Steam came out in 2016, I was like, oh, hey, yeah. look, you can't censor people on a blockchain. And so I got really excited about, I, I call it high. Maximalism I say, I say and high the blocks. previously called Steam. <laughs> no, but, but, but what happened was you're right. And I thank you for bringing this up. And this is another thing I feel that I let our space down a little bit because when I was sitting in prison, there before I went into prison, the word maximalism did not exist. Hmm. 2015, 2014, zero. I come out and there's this big block size war thing going on. And then there's this maximalism against other coins. What the fuck? You know, I'm literally talking about Ethereum on the Bitcoin talk forums before I go to prison. Now I can't talk about anything other than Bitcoin on a Bitcoin subreddit. But if you notice, let's go back to that for a second. The toxicity, the maximalism on both sides was created by people who came newer to the game to justify their own existence. If you look, you will find no maximalists from people that came on in the early days, as opposed to like, maybe there's some, but I don't see it. But I want to, no, can we, I don't want to end this point. Jackson Palmer, Dogecoin. We can talk about this. What do you think of what he came out and he he's been uh, he came out and he and he made a, a tweet the other day. Uh, he broke his silence. 
you know, talking about how despite claims of decentralization, the cryptocurrency industry is controlled by a powerful cartel of wealthy figures who at the time, you know, basically talking about all the negatives, get rich quick, pay to play media outlets, hyper-capitalistic technology, inherently right wing. The thing is, I don't disagree with any of these things. My whole point is markets are efficient when we allow them to be. And by Bitcoin and crypto, we've allowed them to become more efficient. Like you said, making mining hash power go down, block producers uh, voting on their own uh, interests of the community and not their own self-interest. These are things that that efficient markets can do if we allow them to be. So him rage quitting by not trying to even solve the problems and then like coming down on the only people in the whole world really are actually trying to solve these problems. I don't get it. You know, it's funny. I, I dealt with a little bit of this. When I had a discussion recently with someone who was kind of bashing on, you know, the delegation that went to El Salvador and bashing on the Bitcoin law in El Salvador. You were involved in that reasons. too. Thank you. Kind of going too. like, hey, how dare you support this violent law that forces people to use Bitcoin? And it was the same kind of mentality. And, and, and in this case with Dogecoin, you know, I think people, they got their own internal stuff going on, right? And then when they become like a personality that people listen to, when they kind of reflect on their own personal stuff, it just, it flows out to the whole community. Oh, point, and, yeah. and so I, I can't speak for him, obviously, but I can put myself in his shoes and go, if I created Dogecoin, I'd probably have a little bit of guilt over that. Like, here's this meme coin. And I have friends of mine that have lost tons of money. They listen to me for eight years and they don't buy Bitcoin. And then they buy Dogecoin. Mm -hmm. And then they call me up. I actually have a, a, someone who is a neighbor that like, it kind of ruined a friendship in some ways. Like he called me up and he's like pissed off. He's super ranting and raving yeah. and angry. And it's because he he had to go through three different exchanges trying to dump his Dogecoin when it was like skyrocketing, going crazy. And then obviously the network just wasn't even functioning and the exchanges weren't working because it's, you know, very few people actually focusing on improving that technology stack, right? Very few nodes and all the, the whole deal. And I got angry with him. And I, I had a few to drink that night. So I was already, it was late at night. And I just sure. was basically like, what the frick, dude? Like yeah. you listen to me for eight years and ignore me when I tell you all the time, don't invest in stuff you don't understand. Why the frick did you buy Dogecoin? And now you're mad it doesn't work. Like if you listen to anything I said, and so it's like so many people like that have, have lost money with things like these meme coins that are just yeah, pump and dumps schemes, and go all over the place. Yeah. So it's like, if I was if I was him, I'd probably have a little remorse there. And so, yeah, I read through that too. I, I think a lot of what he said is accurate, but I also, sure. when I went through that, I was like, there's almost no way I feel like he, we could be on the same page because some of the things that he's describing, a lot of people, they describe these things as like, oh, that's so bad. Whereas I'm like, actually, that's so good. And when they talk about like, oh, capitalism and, and it's like, no, no, no. If we actually had price discovery, if we that's actually had, yeah, it would, it would work. And the idea that when you inject violent governments through revolving door politics or regulatory capture or other different ways that, the, you know, I look at governments as actually creating monopolies. You know, we, we claim that they're, you know, breaking them up, but they actually create them. And I looked at, um, uh, I forget his name, but he's got a great talk on the difference between natural monopolies and non-natural monopolies. We're not, natural monopolies actually don't harm anyone. They're fantastic. It's like, oh, sweet. I don't need to invest my capital here. I'm going to do it over here instead, because this is just doing such a great job. Just keep doing what you're doing. And whenever a, a natural monopoly uh, isn't providing a great service, it gets broken up naturally. And it's a great example would be like even the browser wars. It's like they, they tried to break up Microsoft, blah, 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 but really what happened was the, as the industry went on in the internet, it was the natural breakup of exactly, the natural evolution. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, so in this case, it's like, I agree with a lot of what he said, but I think the framing of it is just so different in that some of the things that he's upset about, yeah, I'm upset about too, but I think the solutions are not more government, more centralization, more control, more regulation. It's actually regulation that 
actually works. Keep in mind that system allowed Bernie Madoff. That system allowed, you know, the 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 cooked books of all these, you know, Enron and this, that, and the other. It's like I want a better system, and I think it can be done through real projects, not crap projects and shit coins and things that are just not real. Like, you know, if there's no team behind it, there's nobody developing it and improving it. And at the same time, you know what? I, I, I used to bash on Dogecoin a lot, and I've actually stepped back from that a bit, and I said, you know what? If Dogecoin has done anything positive, it's this. When we make fun of Dogecoin, and then we realize the U.S. dollar is way worse, then it's kind of like, come on now. Yeah, like, if you yeah. don't get it now, when will you get it? You're making fun of Dogecoin, and the thing you use as your default investment, U.S. dollar currency, is way worse. So if Dogecoin came out, you know, if all the developers or the lack of thereof came out and said, we want to print 25, you know, increase the supply by 25% in one year, everyone's going to be like, I'm going back to the dollar. It's just, yeah, it's hilarious to me. And so, and, and you know, it's funny too, just how these different, you know, narratives get spun and people try sure. to, you know, create one of my favorite stories through this whole thing has been the Bitcoin obituaries. I've loved Oh that. yeah, I still hundreds, go to that, yeah. The bad, like hundreds of examples of like, Bitcoin is dead, you know, mainstream media. And they'll latch on to like, so-and-so rage quit the industry. And I can remember other people quitting as well. And it was sure, a big deal. Mike like, Hearn. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when he quit as well. Yeah, it was a big deal. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, how can Bitcoin survive? You know, and he had a similar type of like rage quit post, right? Yeah. And, and, and to me, it's kind of like, you know what? The beautiful thing is the technology and the network doesn't care. It just keeps moving forward. Exactly. And you're, you're in Puerto Rico where, where a lot of the um, brilliant minds that not only we talk to, but, but the ones that have been in the, in the space a long time, but new, um, like if you have to put a place, it's, it's mostly Puerto Rico, a lot of Florida right now too, but mostly Puerto Rico. Um, and so you, you get to go to the, and I'm jealous because you get to go and have these amazing conversations with the likes of, of Sean King and, and some of them, you know, and I, Crypto Mondays, hundreds of people there. Um, and you get to, uh, it's like Aristotle and Plato. You get the Renaissance. You get to sit it's and, the coolest thing. and talk no, and philosophize. But doesn't it does it does it give you a little bit? Uh, uh, make you sad a little bit. Then you go outside and you see Puerto Rico, and it's like corrupt still and things like that. And it's not as far along as it should be, even being American. Or do you look at that and say, "This, this I need to see something real that I need to fix in order to remind myself what I'm actually doing every day." That's a good way to think about it. I mean, you know, one of the challenges and back to kind of that layer zero community, it's the belief systems, right? The belief systems in Puerto Rico. And I, I am a guest here. I've been here for two and a half years. Uh, I, I've not been learning Spanish as well as I need to. My wife is doing amazing. She's my translator now. She's I love doing a phenomenal Puerto job. My, favorite my kids are in karate ever. and gymnastics. You know, they got, you know, they're, they're, we're part of the community. We're not in, you know, old San Juan or, or Condado or, or, you know, Ocean Park. We're in Caguas. We're like, you, know, you right guys are living there. You're not living in Dorado or whatever. You're in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not it's in amazing. an expat area. We want, you know, to, to learn Spanish, be part of the community. But it's, it, there is, and, 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 and I'll say this, and I'm, you know, whenever you use generalities and uh, you're always wrong. So I'm, it, it is a, 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 you know, I'm making a, a general statement here, but, and, and there are some Puerto Ricans who are just as frustrated as I am with natives who spent their whole year, a whole life living on the island. But there's this sense that's kind of like a little bit of entitlement, a little bit of kind of a socialist perspective on how things should be. And it's understandable. I mean, they literally got screwed so many times hundreds of years through colonialism. So they're kind of like, look, we deserve better. And it's your job to give it to us. Right. Like, I get where they're coming from. And so there and there's been just, you know, whenever you have that kind of centralized systems of thought, you get corruption. I mean, power corrupts. Right. So they have this systemic corruption. But at the same time, what we just saw, you know, a year or two ago, where they had these peaceful demonstrations that 
I mean, when you get a million people shutting down a freeway to kick out a governor who was like generationally There's corrupt, no like his violence, father yeah. was corrupt as well. And they're finally like, we're done with this, right? And it was an amazing example of what's possible, meaning you know, there's a little bit of, you know, maybe some windows broken here and there, a little bit of spray paint, but ultimately there was very little violence. And in and, and, and Latin American countries, especially, that's just not common at all. And so for that to have happened the way it did gives me hope that if we bring the right tools and the right solutions, I think the people of Puerto Rico and also their survivors, I mean, what they, what they accomplished after hurricane, um, I mean, it's amazing how the people here survive without, you know, in some cases, yeah. water or electricity for months. And so I, I think it's really kind of on us as a crypto community. And it's actually interesting uh, later this week, there's an event where the kind of tax incentive community hasn't really done a good job of explaining their own value to the island. And so there's like a small minority of people that I are allowed. And that. Like, yeah. yeah, there's a, a small group of people that are like, oh man, these colonializers are just trying to take our money and stuff. And it's like, no, it's like not actually true at all. We're bringing incredible amounts of value to the island but we just don't do it our own horde. We don't talk about the things we do. And we're realizing it's becoming a problem because this tiny minority that's loud is starting to get the ear of those in power and government. And so we're, we have a group that's coming together and now kind of talk about this a bit. And I, and I think- Yeah, Michael Turpin is- and, and, and a bunch of other people are involved too. You, Brock, you guys are bringing it all. Yeah, you guys are making sure that, that, that you're representing yourselves to the Puerto Rican government. You should. It, yeah, it's a one thing to just, I understand that you want to go Puerto Rico and stay quiet and, and, and work on everything, but you guys are contributing to that island. You should be talking about it. And, and it's an incredible opportunity as well in that there's no other place in the world there, if you were to like kind of do something a little crazy, let's say, like accept, you know, Bitcoin as a currency, you, that you're not going to run into some trouble from the foreign policy of the United States or any other of these bigger, bigger systems. You know, if, if Puerto Rico really started to get serious about their own independence, their own culture, their own community, their own way of creating value and wealth for their citizens so the by external corruption, world, yeah. focusing on blockchain and crypto as a mechanism to do that, to make efficiencies and all these things work. It's like, it's not like the Marines are going to come invade Puerto Rico, right? Like we have this, we have this protection where we can do some really cool stuff, take some risks. And the United States is probably going to be like, well... Okay, you know, so yeah. I, I think it's a unique opportunity to be like a, a center where we could do some experiments. Oh, I like what freedom. you're saying. You're saying Puerto Rico needs to push a little harder and, and exert its. I like that. Look at Cuba right now. Uh, here it's just for continuity. It's mid July. There is a huge. I just tweeted Cuba Libre this morning. Actually, there's a huge amount of protest all over the country of Cuba. You know, trying to get the Biden administration's attention because Biden. You know, another thing he makes all these promises. He didn't do anything. But one of the promises is to help Cuba, nothing yet, but I love it. I love it. I want to go out and join that, 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 uh, um, that rally cry right there. So, so Puerto Ricans need to push more and they're in a very unique opportunity because Puerto Rico has amalgamation of all these brilliant, brilliant minds and wealth that really Puerto Rico could become the next hub. I have to get a house there. You man, you just you just you just perfectly set me up for the next thing I want to chat about. It's the other thing I'm kind of doing with my full time is uh, Roundtable. Roundtable.io. Uh, this is a decentralized media company started by uh, James Heckman, who built Maven, and he's done you know seven or eight major media companies since the '80s. Also co-founded uh, by David Bailey from uh, Bitcoin Magazine and Brock Pierce. Oh, I love they this! Kinda, I want to be involved in this. This is this is going to be really exciting because they're building a professional, world class professional media studio here in Puerto Rico, right in Old San Juan. And the idea is going to be that as people come off the cruise ships, as they come and they visit, the tourists come, they're going to have an opportunity to see 
incredible discussions and this content being created and filmed in real time. And they're going to have like, we've been talking about having like school children come in and participate in the discussions, have locals come in and artists I just come executive in. produced a film myself. So I, I, this is right up my alley. This is beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And it's, we're going to be able to through that experience, tell the story of Puerto Rico, tell the story of crypto and blockchain. We're going to make crypto beautiful. and blockchain a household topic. And again, when I talk about what they did before, what James has done before, he went from zero to 150 million active monthly users in three years. He's done this. He's got the plan. So I, he kind of recruited me pretty heavily, even though I'm already pretty involved with, with FIO, to be their kind of evangelist, their, their crypto Sherpa of sorts. So I have a role to actually invite my friends, yourself included, people that I trust to represent our industry to the world, to the masses, to come and come talk to me, come to roundtable.io, fill out the form and come. If you're a content creator and you've got a niche in blockchain, whether you're doing NFTs or you're doing DeFi or you're doing, you know, maybe you're a maximalist in your community, that's fine too. Because what we want to have is people that disagree. So one of the things that, one of the ideas I came up with for how we're going to do these roundtable discussions related to crypto that I'm actually kind of excited about is, is our team was like, how are we going to know what's a shitcoin and what's like a legit project? I said, well, here's our criteria. You want to be on the roundtable show? You want to come and do a recording or whatever? Bring a competitor who's doing the same thing you're doing in the blockchain space, and then bring someone who hates your project and is convinced it's a scam. Yes, I love that. Let's and then do that. just like, that way it's like, and just and we're going to have rational debates and we're going to have professional conversations about facts and what is. And from that perspective, the roundtable platform will either get celebrated as uh, the platform that exposed a shitcoin that you shouldn't invest in, or it's going to get celebrated as the platform that, you know, discovered a diamond in the rough, this, this undervalued coin that's been improperly called the shitcoin, you know? And so I'm excited about things like that, that we can do and focus here in Puerto Rico and the Puerto Rican story, I think is going to be amazing. Luke Stokes, you're the evangelist, chief evangelist for roundtable.io and the managing director for the foundation of interwallet operability, connecting everyone together, always connecting brains and humans and keeping the world such a good place. I can't wait to hang out with you in Puerto Rico. Um, we're going to be down there in a few weeks. I have the date. I'll talk to you offline about it. Thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. It's my pleasure. I look forward to hanging out with you.